Kiwi Yarns with Brody Kane. Kia ora te whanau and welcome to Kiwi Yarns. Today's guest is the absolutely fabulous Cassie Roma. Now, if someone asked me, what does Cassie do? I would answer it with, well, she has done pretty much everything and she can do pretty much anything. She's a digital marketer, a social media expert and consultant, a wonderful public speaker, and she's been her kick-ass self on The Apprentice, Aotearoa, and just recently, Celebrity Treasure Island. She's in my house. She's in the house. We made it finally. Cassie, thank you so much for coming on Kiwi Yarns. Hashtag hectic. What, I know. What a, what a life. What, what a, a ride. life. How, yeah. is, how are you? It's usually I just open up with that with, with everybody to start with. You know, I've had a lot of friends. I just, people can't see it, but I took a deep breath and I put my hands on my stomach. I was like, you know, I was going to tell you, fine. In the middle somewhere. I feel like this year has been the very stereotypical roller coaster ride of like everything's up, it's down. Sometimes you're upside down and loop de loop going backwards, but the momentum is forward. Yeah. So the answer is momentum forward. It's funny that you say that as well. The, the, um, Last guest I spoke to was the wonderful Dr. Lucy Hone at, uh, on resilience and well-being. And, uh, and one thing that really stuck with me is actually everyone being aware that we have been in a really weird time for quite some time and to be kinder to yourself and to almost like allow yourself to sit in the fact that you're not feeling your best. And also the beauty of the fact that we can talk about all of us and what is the best? That we can all sit in the moment and just feel bleh mm. sometimes yeah. and, and go, that is that is normal. And what we did before is probably why we've had so many hard times with, with our mental health and with communication and with all of this splintering of, of politics and groups and all of this kind of stuff that's coming to the boil. It's because we were just not talking about it. Exactly. I, you know, I said, you know, you're the absolutely fabulous Cassie and she can do anything, which also then puts you up, but in this kind of like high regard. Do, is that because I do that, but um, does that, do you feel that, that everyone wants you to be on, that they rely on you to be? All the time. Yeah. And it, 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 it's, it's a nuanced way of life. I think first and foremost, just being an expat. So I've been in New Zealand for 20 years, which means every time I open my mouth, Somebody wants to talk about where are you from, what have you done, who are you, and usually I'm like, dude, I've lived in I've lived in Auckland for 20 years now. I just want to be a Kiwi, but I get it. But there's a performative element to the way I've had to walk through the world my entire life because of that expatness. I am a very much an introvert, very like poetic tidal soul, but I have to fall into the group of you're a business person, you're a type A. This is the way you should act because. You're an American. Right. You know, so, and it still feels weird for me to um, be held to such esteem um, sometimes because I don't want to be the adult in the room. I feel like you got to be an adult then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. I want to ask you a lot, and I think, well, we'll just do what Julie Andrews does and start from the very beginning. It's the very best place to start. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you grew up in Southern California and then also spent a bit of time in a really small town in Missouri. Is that? Yeah. That's yeah. Split, split between the both? Split between. So my mom's family's from a town called New Cambria in Missouri, which I think at its height in like 94 – this like real rollicking ride of a time had 222 people. 
Okay, so super small. Yeah, to the point where, you know, because, and then on the other, the flip side of that is I grew up in a, in San Diego, California, but out in the East County, which we used to call the Outback, which is kind of funny that I've ended up in Australasia. Yeah. But it was like, we had a town of 25,000 and that felt pretty small in a town of like 4 million people. Um, there's always been the feeling of like big city girl and then small town country girl. And I feel like that's really set my life up for, finding beauty in, in all kinds of people and backgrounds and the size and shape of, of the, ex- the experiences we go through. Yeah. And, and when you were growing up, dad was a lawyer and mum was the dean of a law school. So, I mean, that sounds a bit scary, right? Yeah. Is, is that even legal? I mean, is it, that's, yeah. <laughs> we, was it like, you know, I'm, I'm picturing a movie scene, like you've got to go to Harvard now. It's your destiny. <laughs> My dad literally is a Stanford graduate. Oh, amazing. Um, well, the funny thing about this is dad was a professional baseball player. Wow. Yeah. So he played for the Dodgers. His dad played for the New York Yankees. My uncle played for the Houston Astros. So they oh, were like wow. sporty spice. Yeah. Um, but he decided he didn't like the politics of sports. Lol. So he went into to law. Uh, which is where he met my mom. And then he decided he didn't like law because it was just too much conflict. I mean, I don't know what he expected. (laughs) Wow. Um, He just has a soft heart, I think. He just didn't want to fight all the time, which I totally understand. Um, But mom graduated high school and never went to college. So she was the dean of a law school without having a college degree. That's incredible. She started at the front desk watering plants. And for 35 years worked her way up through the school, changing everything, innovating, just being a kick-ass woman and a a fantastic leader. I think that's where I've gotten my idea of like head and heart and everything that I do. And then um, dad, after a while, was just like, I'm going to be a builder. And so he built stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love that. And so, but circling back, Did you ever think oh, I should I should be a lawyer or this intrigues me or like flat out no? There no, was no intri- way in hell. <laughs> there was we were. It's funny I tell uh, friends and family quite or friends here a lot. Like when I was a kid, I thought it was normal to interact with Supreme Court justices. I thought all Americans did that. Like presidents, sure. First ladies, yeah, of course everybody. Did. No, that's not a normal childhood. Like we'd go to weddings and Jesse Jackson would be an officiant, and you'd be like. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't typical. That wasn't typical. And growing up, my mom was a very gentle soul, very kind. Um, but my dad was very much that driven. This is what you should do. We still have like written in the concrete outside of our front door. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. He had to break it up because he wrote it so big. <laughs> but like there was always, you are, you are doing, you are achieving, you are going to school and you have to be first because second is first loser. How did you cope with that? How did you roll with that? Um, a lot of internalizing, a lot of internalizing and being, I think the firstborn and being the firstborn daughter. So I've got a brother who's 16 months younger than me. Um, I just tried my best to make other people happy all the time. And what I found as a 41 year old, that's not always life's best strategy. You saying that you've only just recently discovered that? Yes, ma'am. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's a breakthrough. It's a huge breakthrough. It's a huge breakthrough. And I feel like free, but also at the same time, like, wow, 
how much more is there to to unpack and understand and go through? Because I mean, I met my ex husband on my twenty first birthday. Yeah, oh. did you on a Kentucky tour? On a, and was he the tour guide? He sure was. Yes. Tell me about that. That sounds like a great yarn. Well, you know, it was my 21st birthday, July yep. 15th, 2002. First trip out of the States for my cousin Ashley from that small town in Missouri. And uh, she and I met in Kansas City. And I had my first legal beer in the airport there at MCI. And we flew out to London. <laughs> and we got on a dirty old Kentucky bus. I had no idea what that was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just booked it because online. Mm-hmm. And we got on that bus, and the tour guide was a Kiwi fella called Tex. I shit you not. And, yeah, couldn't stand him for 15 (laughs) of the 16 days. Just had never met a rugby-playing bloke before. But obviously day 16 was like, ding, 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 we're in now. (laughs) And and then did you, not long after that, So you because you'd finished university and then gone and done that, and then did you go to New, New Zealand not that long after that? No, so I was still in university. So, Oh, when you went on your Kentucky, you yeah, were still at uni. I was right. finishing up, and he's 16 years older than I am. Yeah. So he was a real grown-up, and I was this, like, college kid, doop de doop de do having the long distance. This was long-distance relationships just as text messaging was happening. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, I used to sit up in the night sometimes and wait for emails to come in. Oh, my God. <laughs> or, or, like, booking for yeah. a Skype, like, you know. There was no Skype. Oh, there was no No. Oh, yeah, okay. No, it was those old school, Pre-Skype. like. Pre-Skype. Yeah. They, MSN Messenger. Not even then. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, not even then, like, refresh, refresh. I was at UC Santa Barbara. He was in Europe. And it was just the wildest, weirdest time. I think back on that sometimes, and I was like, little Cassie. Yeah. She was wild. And then, so, you finished college. And when you finished college... Did you know, did you have a path then? Or were you like, well, I didn't, still no, not sure. You know, I think I've always felt what my path should be. And it has always included art and music and those kinds of things. While I was working through college, there was a music venue called the Santa Barbara Bowl. And I worked quite a few seasons at the Santa Barbara Bowl. And it was so cool. I got to see everybody from like Chris Isaac and Carlos Santana and Bonnie Raitt through like at the time, Rob Thomas, Matchbox 20. There was a young fella called John Mayer coming up. Oh, yeah. Like all those kinds. So I got to be in and around music all the time. But because also of that kind of childhood that we had as well and the drive for success, it didn't feel like if I wasn't the artist, that wasn't a path I could have that, that was going to be meaningful. It didn't feel meaningful enough, which I'm, again, that's the unpacking that's happening now is going, it's enough if you feel like it's enough. But, but 21 year old me didn't know that. So when I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Nothing whatsoever. I had graduated with a history and Spanish language and literature degree. That's like a, the New Zealand version of a BA, right? That's a BA. Yeah, yeah. that's what I've got, yeah. Which was a whole bunch of BS. Yeah, yeah. Because I, <laughs> I went in from high school with enough credits to have a full year, so I took three years worth of study, I guess, in four years, and just enjoyed the beach and enjoyed the music and enjoyed the scene. It was it was amazing. And then I, I went straight from school, and I moved to London with Tex. Oh, so you moved to London first. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and my mom's family, um, her mother is English. She was an English war bride, my grandma Roma. So I ended up staying in London and Chelsea and then spending most of the weekends in Oxford with, with my family. So it was a really cool time. Like Tex was still off touring. So he was away most of the time. And I lived during the week with seven older Kiwi men <laughs> and me. And it was the best time of my life. I learned the difference between mints, M-I-N-C-E, 
and mints and oh. my NTS <laughs> when I bought the wrong thing for one of the boys who had a date coming home. Oh, you bought mints. He asked. He, said, he, he meant. He asked for breath mints. He asked. See, no, he asked for mints. He want, He said, "I'm having a girl over. I want to make her some dinner. Can you get some mints?" Sure thing, Scotty. Red shoes. I got you. Not a problem. Oh, so you bought breath mints. I went and got chocolate. I thought he wanted like chocolate mints after to dinner. Woo her. Yes. What an interesting thing to cook a cook mints right. mints mints on a date. Hey, <laughs> first date on. In Chelsea, it's like, so kiwi though, isn't yeah. it? Oh, oh, cook her some. Was he gonna do like a spag bowl or something? He was okay. old Scotty Red Shoes, but he didn't have any sauce either. So he just put he just put ketchup in there. It was oh no! Nah. I bet you she didn't come back for date. Two. She did not come back. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But we had lots of chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> we were good for chocolate. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's uh, yeah. I bet you that he would not be the only kiwi that's done that. It was some of the best times of my life. Those boys. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you move from London to New Zealand? Then I moved from London to New Zealand by accident. Okay. So we were supposed to be here for two weeks on a vacation. Yeah. And then it was two months. And it was like, oh, shit. It's been 18 months now. And by that time we were engaged, went home. Yeah. Got married in the States. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so, as you say, as you said earlier as well, like, you're like, you are a Kiwi. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a Kiwi. But you have but you have been spending quite a bit of time yeah. back and forth at the moment. Does your heart sit in both places? You know, I think because I had my daughter Chelsea so young, there there's a point when you have a, a child young too where you don't have any strategic goals in mind in life other than caring for that that small human and making sure that person grows up to be healthy and happy and um, kind. So I, it's not like you lose time, but your time belongs elsewhere. So I never really thought I had a, a choice. And I'm learning that too. To be a mother doesn't mean you have to be a martyr. Yeah. And that's that's a big lesson that Chelsea's helping me uncover. She's 16 and she is wiser than I will ever be. Like this kid is just, she's the gift of my life. Um, but in the last year and a half, and I think because of those closed borders, I had to choose. Do I choose my family here, my two people, my wife and my daughter, or do I choose all of my people who I haven't been able to choose for 20 years and now I have to make a choice because if I leave, I can't come back. Mm. My country that I live in right now says I can't come home. Mm. And then I have in the USA, my birth country, my last grandparent died of COVID. My brother's having more babies. My fr- life's moving on. And I just felt so, so confused. I think confused is the word. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness the borders are being Ooh. back and forth, back and forth. Tell you what, the MIQ was a... I did it twice, and it was you brought me some. I did bring you some. I did. You brought me peanut butter. That's right. Which did you see the the issue I had on Celebrity Treasure Island with peanut butter? No. Let me tell you, there was a moment, and I I saw your video with you. I've seen a few videos. Did did you see the peanut butter video? No, I haven't seen the peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, tell me. I I panicked. So sometimes, what I'm realizing too, as I get older, when I panic, I lie. I love that. They're so good. Like, what? No. No. And that was it. So we were playing a game, and it was me and Courtney Louise, and we had to read each other's minds. And one of the questions was, what do you put on toast? And so you're supposed to guess, right? She said peanut butter, and I just froze. And she's like, what is wrong with you? What's going on? Brie, Brie Thomasell stopped, all these things. And they're like, "What? what's wrong? And I was like, peanut butter on toast? And I looked disgusted. And they were like... What do you have peanut butter on? I was like, I, I don't eat peanut butter. Did you nail it? 
I just said, I don't eat it. I don't eat it. And they're like, why? And I was just, and then I went and like, didn't even speak words. So I knew I was lying then, <laughs> but I panicked because I'm a late to life peanut butter bloomer. I'm a late to life gay and I'm a late to life peanut butter person. Yeah. So my, <laughs> my panic brain said, I don't like peanut butter. And then of course they put it on TV. It was really funny. Yeah. But it was a lie. And I was thinking about you out there under the stars. So I was like, what, like, what will Brody think? Like, shit. She's going to say she knows. Liar. She knows that I'm lying because I, I, she dropped me some at bloody the hotel at the airport. And it was delicious. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so, so good. good. <laughs> but uh, what people, if people that are listening don't know you, there's a couple of t- moments now that they might have gone, what, did she say wife? Because we were talking about text. Did she say wife? Yes. And then, and then a second time. So... You, yeah, you've got this beautiful teenage daughter. Yeah. Um, and then you raise her together with... With my wife, with, Carly. With, with, with your wife, Carly, and obviously Tex and his wife are in Auckland, are Tex they? and his partner, yeah. They are, yeah. They're literally five kilometres from where yeah. we are. So that's, that's modern family living, isn't it? Yeah. And so when did you fall out of... I don't want to be too nosy, but when did you fall out of love with Tex and fall in love with a woman? I mean... How does that work? What is... <laughs> what did Prince Charles say? What is love anyway? He didn't say it. And that's not his accent. But <laughs> he did say something like that, didn't what he? What a dick. Yeah. Um, you know, Tex and I had a good 15 years together, but I think there was just a a natural end. Yeah. A natural end to that. And when that natural end came to be, um, there was it was one of those moments where I just kind of looked across the room and there was Carly and my brain went, oh, Oh, uh, oh, and now, so it's, I'm seven years yesterday out of the closet. Um, so that's, that's the little anniversary that, that I've kind of been like, do you celebrate a gay anniversary? I think you do. So we celebrate it. Um, there's been a lot of looking back and trying to like rehash, like, why didn't I know? I wish I'd known all of these things because they're super gay, but you know, I'm I'm trying to learn to be kinder to younger Cassie too, and to the to the journey and the expectations again that are put on us as children and that society gives us. I never knew I could be gay because there were no gay people who were out that looked like me. Right. There were no women in the media that that felt representative of who I was. So I thought, oh, I must, I just must be who I am. And so seven years ago, it's actually not that long ago. No. And w- when when you looked across the room, and, and then those thoughts were like, oh, well, how was it then? Like, and then coming out, um, how how did that feel? Because ultimately, that is kind of a little bit later in your life than oh. I guess some people. Yeah. Did people go, oh, gosh. I mean, who cares what the people, but you know what I mean. Do you know what people, zero people said, oh, gosh, we're surprised. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big fat, like, donut. Yeah. Zero people were surprised. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, the, the funniest thing, so I called my brother, because he's kind of my safe space. I just love Rob to pieces, and I, he's in North Carolina, and I called him, and it was a Sunday in America, and I was like, look, Rob. I got to talk to you. He's like, hey, I'm on the golf course. I'm pretty drunk. <laughs> I was like, fantastic. Let me tell you something. I'm big gay. He's like, yeah, we know that. That's fine. We love you. You're great. Are you happy? And I was like, what? And he said, are you happy? Yeah. He's like, cool. Bye. And he <laughs> Gotta go. Same thing with my grandma. Um, yeah. the, the biggest fear I had was coming out to Grandma Roma. Um, because she's Catholic. She was almost 90. Um, she had established ideas about certain things. Very loving, my hero. 
and I can remember I called her. I was working in Air New Zealand at the time, and um, I told her, and she said the same thing. Are you happy? And I said, yeah. And she goes, fantastic. And then she followed it up with, and Jean Ray saw it on Facebook two months ago and told me. And I'm like, bloody Jean Ray. Oh, it's so brilliant. <laughs> She'd known. Oh. She knew. She's just waiting for me to call and tell her. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, you've also been as well a, a really staunch supporter and advocate for the LGBTQIA plus community. How important is that to you to be that person? Well, I think it's uh, one of the things that, could have helped me a lot younger to be more of who I am was to see somebody who looks like me and sounds like me and and talks similarly. And I know that comes from a place of privilege as well because I'm never not aware of the fact that I spent most of my life in a heteronormative headspace. So whereas a lot of my friends who are queer and, and have always known have really had to struggle for a long time with society and how they present and the words they use and the biases of other people... I know I can walk into a room and I forget about this and just present as a heterosexual woman and men still try it on even when I'm in a trucker cap and I, you know, well, you're tattooed and oh, thanks, all <laughs> these things. But I forget sometimes and I know that's a privilege. Yeah. Um, so it's it's important to be able to talk about it. Sometimes, you know, um, a good friend of mine, Cam Mansell, has recently come out and we were talking about this the other day, that it's hard to only tick a box sometimes in the media here especially in New Zealand the headlines are always about our sexuality and that's frustrating a lot of the time but as an older person now I understand that that's okay because since the apprentice which was a weird <laughs> pivot to go in front of a camera instead of be behind it um, the amount of women from like 75 who were coming out at 75 Brody can you imagine that like the guts of that the boldness like that's brave from like 75 down to 11 just telling me what's going on with them I get messages all the time um multiple multiple yeah. a day and it just shows me that it's important and I'm I'm white with blonde hair and blue eyes and that's just one kind of representation you know there has to be so much more diversity and equity in, in representation what do you think uh what goes on in your brain when you see one of those sort of, the, I, I hate the fact that this word has has been bastardised and overused and sort of hijacked from people that tend to sit more to the right, um, who just, let's just say ma mainly white people, that, that now feel like somehow they're under attack because lo and behold. Equality. <laughs> equality. <laughs> Whoa. And, and wow. you know, these words like woke and, and oh, mm. the woke left and the, oh, we've got to think about it. What do you think when all those sort of stereotypes, which are now, in my opinion, like just classic stereotypical because they're just not intelligent. No. But what do you think when you hear that, when you know that there are people that are writing you those messages um, that people can just throw it away and, as, as woke? What does even fucking woke mean? You they're know, not using it for the right term, are they? No, I would rather be woke and waking um, because that leads us to this, and I know it sounds frou-frou and hippie, but awakening. And the more awake we are, the more we can see each other. Um, I was telling my wife one of the biggest lessons of the uh, pandemic that I learned was through the, the Black Lives Matter movement. And a brand that one of my friends owns in the States had come under fire for a way that they'd treat um, some people of 
treating, treating. There's my Missouri coming out from the way they've been treating other people. Um, but, but, and it was, it was one of these things where it, equity as we know it now um, maybe wasn't known then. And folks were saying, you need to make this better. And the brand didn't make it better. But then they came back and apologized. And me as having my friend own this business and knowing who she is and her heart and everything, I went back and said, you know, we, we do the best with what we can. And when we know better, we do better, which is a Maya Angelou quote. It was not up to me as a white person to accept an apology on behalf of anybody else. And believe me, Instagram let me know that fast. Yeah. And I feel like I felt like I was much more awakened because I sat in the discomfort of that and went, why do I feel uncomfortable? Is because I've always been allowed to have an opinion and nobody's ever shut me down and we need to shut each other down a little bit more with kindness mm -hmm. and we need to learn to go, why is this affecting me? Why do I feel like I have to call somebody something like woke and why do I think that that makes them feel bad? Mm. Fuck yeah, woke. Yeah. But also like if you're repeating all of the things that the trash media are saying, then it's just trash. And then for me, that doesn't make a person quote unquote trash. What it does is it makes me feel more compassionate for them and go, what's going on in their life where they have to fixate on that to feel part of a community and how can I welcome them into a much more uh, compassionate space? Because, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a town where the, the Ku Klux Klan's Grand Dragon's granddaughter went to my school. Well, I know what racism, it's, it's disgusting, it stinks, and it needs to go. Mm. Um, so all of that stuff, I, f I feel sorry for folks. I, yeah. feel, I feel sorry for people who feel so uh, maligned by society. I just feel so much compassion for them, I think. That's quite fascinating. Like that's that shows that you have a pretty like you you're quite a patient person. I just reasonable because yeah. I'm I'm not always there. I'm like, well, they can get fucked. Well, I mean, I'll still say like, <laughs> and you know, get fucked. Like, but at the same time, and then my brain goes, Cassie, that was your first reaction. You get to own your second reaction and your first yeah action. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't you think as well? Like, often I think again, two two white chicks sitting here like battling it out. <laughs> Just yarning, but 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 yeah, as you say, learning, mm. and then um, you know we, you can still you, you're still like oh I don't, I don't understand that or I don't, and then it's like well hang on a minute, it's your job to understand it. It's your job, correct? My job to understand it. If correct. I don't understand it, it's my job to figure out why I don't understand it. And it is not the job of our black brothers and sisters, our queer fanon of anybody else to educate us. Mm. It is not up to them to do any more heavy lifting for us. You know, when people are like, well, tell me about that. And I'm like, no, go read about it. Yeah. Go understand. You know, I spent so much time in the last year in Nashville, Tennessee. And I have seen some of the most beautiful moments of coming together of um, diverse, like, artists and musicians. And I've also seen some of the worst and most horrific racism of my life. And it has broken me into pieces. And it's sitting in that discomfort and understanding that I needed to learn. And also then understanding the, the beauty of being invited into rooms that I wouldn't normally be in. And then, you know, not being weird about it. Because yeah. I make everything weird. Like, yeah. thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Now, I want to ask you as well about um, social media, yes. which, you know, has been a little bit and what we've talked about already. But this is an area that you focus on a lot. And I'll, this is a real big question. Um, do you think social media is helping or hindering society? Oh, like, if, I knew you were going to ask me that. 
For the record, for the record, I actually do think it's doing more harm than good. Yeah. I'm not saying there's uh, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good. There are more people that get more voices than that, but I I do believe like this will be this might sound pretty grim. <laughs> get there. But I kind of feel like our phones are unraveling humanity. <sighs> I I really do. You know, I really do. It sounds I ho- so old. I long for the days. Of, do you remember when you didn't have to reach for something oh. or if, so even if you turn your phone off, put it away, it something buzzes on your wrist. Like <laughs> that was, and I'll say this until I'm, until I'm dead in the damn ground. Although I want to be cremated in, in the ocean, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Just to say, and the best part about Celebrity Treasure Island, other than the humans, was when they took away our damn phones. It was like weeks without a buzz, a beep, anybody sending me an email. I didn't worry about anything. And then watching how some people dealt with it and then really talking about what we missed. And the only things we missed was our friends and our family and the news, quote unquote, the news. Otherwise, it just took one night where we stopped reaching for it. And when they handed the phone back after we were finished, I forgot how to use it. Mm. I was like, and it felt heavy and it felt like a weight. And I remember sitting in that moment thinking, Cass, don't forget this. Don't forget this when you're addicted to that thing again. Yeah. So you're kind of on the same page as me, eh? A little bit. I think that social media and the way that it was designed by the the dude bros Mm -hmm. was designed to hack our physiology for money. And I fucking hate that. Yeah. But when I started in social media, it was before it was any kind of paid. It was community. It was collaboration. It was like actually in service of others. I can remember one day when I was working at ANZ Bank, this was before anything was paid, and I was doing community management, and I spent a full day going back and forward with one dude with um, in Beatles quotes. <laughs> can you imagine a bank doing that now? <laughs> That's, yeah. No. And it was the best time ever, and that dude was like, I love my bank, and it was like, he actually loved the human interaction. It's gone now. Yeah. For the most part, it's gone. And that, that, that's, I, think, I, I should have said, yeah, it's sort of, We've, it's, it's gone too far. We, it's mm. like we've lost, we've lost it, eh? It's all paid. So yeah. the algorithms are utilizing our time and our data and our information for capital gains instead of for societal good. Yeah. Okay. And social media, so the dude that helped name social media, social media is a guy called Brian Solis, and he is an anthropologist. He is a humanist. He is a, he's a technological whiz who built it, he called it social media because it's inherently social, but now it's just inherently like the money folks want to just hack us for money. And it, that hacks me off. Well, you spend you. more time looking at your mind than being social with people. Oh. That's why I always say touch the grass. If you know, get out and touch the grass. Get them to drop on your toes. It's, it's not my saying. I know that, but I feel like many people have said it over. I feel like yeah. they have, but you, and so but on your career, mm. You came to New Zealand, and yes. you have been a real force in the mm-hmm. corporate world. Yeah. Um, Accidental. <laughs> Accidental that. tempest. But, you know, just leading some pretty big strategies, digital strategies for, like, Air New Zealand, <laughs> ANZ. Um, tell me about the corporate world experience for you. <sighs> another, oh, deep, the- <laughs> another deep breath and hold of the stomach. Um, the corporate experience for me has been an exercise in the beauty of humanity where it comes up and and butts up against the idea of humans being resource and that resource being enabled for capital gain. And I hate that. I hate that. Corporates are, are big entities full of beautiful human beings. 
They're full of heart count, but a brand will call it head count. And they will slash. And you say slash because you I want people to know how painful it is. Like restructures and rolling changes and all of that. When our society is predicated upon the fact that our importance is married to our title, to the size of our teams, to the money we make, to the houses we're in, to the boats in the front yard, to the cars we drive, it's fucked. It's fundamentally even the nicest, kindest corporations still have to make money and are about money. So I've, I've found, I've learned a lot about the microcosm of the elite as I've worked because I, again, I wanted to do something really creative, but going into like corporates and accidentally climbing the ladder was a fully accidental and thank, thank goodness it happened. But when you find yourself around a boardroom table and it's the same power place and it's the same people saying words that are, are really disguised in a vernacular of the elite, you're just like, how is it, how is there ever going to be equity in society? How is this ever going to be equal? Yeah. And, and is that why, one of the reasons why you were like, oh, okay, I'm done now. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. The last job that I had was at the warehouse group. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, I worked there with a friend, well, with a lot of friends actually. And I said I'd stay for a year. And I was there for two. Yeah. And then I left and felt like really good about that because I was, I got to work with a sustainability team. We worked on like period poverty, the better cotton initiatives, like all of that kind of stuff that mattered. So that's what I mean, like, there's stuff that corporates do that matter. But at the end of the day, they wanted to sell people a lot of shit. Mm. And that just didn't vibe with me. So I was like, I would like to go and do more creative things. I would like to work in media equity for women and queer people in the arts. I'd like to work with women in sports. How do I do that? And it was it was like, you just have to start. And I love this. And because, yeah, you were like, I'm, I'm off from the corporate world and I'm going to go out alone. Yeah. So... How how did that go and how is that going? And can you please tell me that you have days where you're like, I'm fucking awesome, and then days where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know when my next paycheck's coming and what am I doing? So <laughs> let me tell you, Brody King, <laughs> I left the corporate world and was set on a fond farewell on March the 1st, 2020. And we all know what happened on March 25th, yep, 2020, uh, which also happened to be Elton John's birthday. Oh, just saying. Um, and my the job that I had lined up for the full year, and I'm a planner, so I'd been planning this for months and talking with my colleagues at the warehouse group. We knew what was going on. Um, it was all predicated upon traveling. I had L.A., Mexico City, London, Vegas, New York, oh, and a few other places all lined up, ready to go. And I was going to be speaking and networking, and it was all going to be a year of building up connections to figure out where I could go to helping creators. So in the States, I work with like some major creators and, and con I live like a completely double life over there. Um, and I couldn't leave and events stopped. So if you're supposed to be working events of 80,000 attendees and zero people can go, what do you do? So I spent the first year like on the floor in the garage of our house weeping most days because first of all, I just left corporate, right? So my title was gone. My money was gone. My team was gone. And then everything else in the world just was what was happening. We're, everything was confusing at that time. But then it was like the second you get into the headspace of take a deep breath, have a good boo-hoo, like let it out, get snotty, get gross. The second you take a deep breath and you go, actually, what, I'm, what can I do right now to help? I just started to help. 
And through that help, I got so much work that was everything from executive coaching through to like setting up digital backend systems so that people understood how to Zoom. This is before we knew what Zoom was, right? <laughs> and Microsoft Teams and all of these things. So I was helping brands navigate that because before that I was the like the crazy scientist of all of that. And people would be like, oh, she's crazy. She thinks people can work from home and be trusted. And so then everybody was like, how do people work from home and be trusted? And I was like, let me tell you, because I know how we can navigate this together. And so the, those two years were nothing like I was planning on. And they, you couldn't have guessed at what happened. But wow, what a cool learning curve. And yeah, there are very, very, very frequent days where I'm like, what do I actually do? <laughs> Even my daughter comes home. She's like, mom, people ask what you do. And I'm like, hmm. That's basically just about anything that I want to put my mind to. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because I'm a bit like that. Yeah. People go, oh, what's the one? Like, people were dying to ask you, like, what your day consists of. Yeah. Because if it's not a nine to five or if it's not get in the car and drive to work or or a shift or whatever, people kind of oh, and that's, struggle that a bit with that, eh? the most freeing experience and also the most terrifying. Yeah. Because yeah. when you spend 20 years of of a routine, even if you hate the routine, when it stops, you go, where's my value? What am I doing? And you realize most of most of your day was just spinning your wheels. So, yeah. you know, and I think every day is different for everyone. I spend sometimes four hours a day out walking. People are like, oh, it's walking lady from the North Shore. <laughs> I'll go places. Like we went to go look at some tiles for our bathroom and the lady in the bathroom was, the bathroom store was like, oh, I know where you live because you walk all the time. I was like, yep, that's me. But I'll, But I learned really early on, I didn't do well sitting still. So I take all of my meetings out walking and it's always a talking point with new colleagues. They're like, are you, was that a bus that went by? It's like, yeah, <laughs> let me tell you why. And everyone's like, wow, okay. And like, yeah, let's talk about the physiology of how you think better when you're up and moving and how you can make better uh, decisions when you've got more blood flow to your brain. And then if you're physically healthy, you feel better, all of those kinds of things. So I think the, what I've learned best is that there's no template for a good life. You know, there's there's just happier. There's no happy. It's not a destination. Well, that might sort of answer the next question because I wanted to know what you think are some key things to being a successful business person and whatever that means, yeah. like whatever that may be, whatever field. Yeah, and you know, I think... Do you think it comes to happiness, success? I think success is understanding what fulfillment looks like for you because we're all told from the time we're little what success should look like what the rungs of the ladder are and how we should climb. And my thing for the last two years is like, why? Who made that up? All of these rules were made up without our consent, especially women. Even the words we use, the dictionaries were written and decided upon by men. So why? Who decided what success means? And success to Brody right now will be completely different to success to Brody in five years. I guarantee you. So it's also being kind to ourselves uh, when we look back and as we move forward and going... I made that promise to myself that I wanted to do X, Y, Z, but I actually ended up with S and L and B and I feel good about that. And it's fine. Like drop the expectations. So for me, when I work with people and I mentor them, we talk about what success looks like as a day. So what, what is a good day? And for me, that's exercise, strong cup of coffee, talk to my friends and then feel like I'm helping someone. That's it. And that can be in the context of work or project or whatever that looks like. doesn't have to be inbox zero. doesn't have to be a $200,000 deal. Um, it's definitely not chasing money. 
And we've got all the science and data to say that that money does not make for a happy life. And then I think after that, it's 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 just being easy on yourself. We're told like, what makes you happy? Go figure that out. Go in, figure that out, and then you'll know what success is. Fuck that noise. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to know what makes you happy. Just just be okay in the moment. Just remind yourself you're okay in the moment. That's success to me. Oh, just this very smart brain here in this room with me. Not me. Very smart brain. How, have you, the, the, how would you? Who, say, there's two of us right here. Yeah, I know. But who? Who? How do you know all this stuff? You know, you learned it along the way. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even you know, before we started recording, I was telling you I had a rough day yesterday, and a moment where I, I don't, I'm not an angry person, but I could have had my little Mount Vesuvius explode. But then the compassionate side of me went like, okay, what's going on in that person's life? What's happening over there? Not okay to treat people in certain ways, but um, do I want to carry that weight? Do I want to live like that? And I think as we go along, um, we do learn to be kinder to each other. And I've always just loved people, Brody. I always just loved different kinds of folks. And I think maybe it's because the small town I grew up in in San Diego was right on the border with Mexico. So we had all different kinds of language and food and people and socioeconomics and all of that kind of stuff. And then we went to Missouri. It was like real redneck, dirt poor, slow talking, uh, good people, you know, but a different kind of success. Like half of my cousins can't read and write, but they can put together a John Deere with their eyes closed. You know what I mean? So it's understanding like that's just as beautiful a skill set as it is to be able to walk in and recite Shakespeare. And I just love that. I just love that. Yeah. You got to soak up life, right? We're sponges. Yeah. We're never finished until we are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so cool. Mutual admiration society right Yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, I'll do your Kiwi yarns. Quick fire questions for you. Uh, question number one is, what do you bring to a summer barbecue? This is a hard one. Southern Californians, all year round's a summer barbecue. So I've thought about it, Brody, and I'm thinking it's going to have to be a cob salad. Do you know cob salad? I, I feel like this is, I, I do, but right now I can't give you the answer. So Cobb salad is this beautiful, like, first of all, the bowl for this salad, it's not like a little tinky thing. It's a big, like it's half a wine barrel. It's a big bowl. Yeah. And at the bottom of this bowl, you put your iceberg lettuce and your spinach. And then on top of that, in like a really cool little rainbow formation, you put your tomatoes, your onions, your blue cheese crumbles. Uh, your okay. Yeah. You kind of like layer on your bacon some chicken, oh my God. some other cheese, and then you you just kind of like uh, avocado. Yeah. you got to eat California. It's a California dream. Yeah. That's quite a busy, like, there's a big salad. It's a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Yum. Wash that down with some bourbon. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> okay. Five Kiwi people that you're inviting to the barbecue. I couldn't even, I couldn't guess five, because if I feel like I say five, then I'm going to leave five out. I just want to invite everybody. Okay. Anybody who's a good time. Yeah. Anybody who's a good time. But Tammy Nielsen has to be there. Oh, yeah. I, I'm in support of that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've spent some time with Tammy Nielsen, but this woman is a good time. Oh, she's amazing, isn't yeah. she? Oh, she can sing. My gosh. She is a good, good woman. Is that your, is that, does that answer number three, favorite Kiwi artist? Yes. Yes. By far. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, question number four, where would you love to go in Aotearoa that you haven't been? Oh, I would love to do a roadie of the South Island. Yeah, 20 years here and I it's one of those things where you're like you tell people from overseas you need to do this you need to do the glaciers you, no I haven't done it myself I would love to do that or all of the great walks yeah <laughs> any time finish the sentence I'm most happy in New Zealand when I am with my people 
for my people. Yeah. So we've... <laughs> For people, for the for the background of people, this has been about three or four weeks in the making, and we've finally got here. And we we the last time we chatted on a podcast, you were on the girls uninterrupted, and you answered people's um, career questions yeah. so helpfully. But it's so lovely to also hear you because you're always so open about your own development and mm. what's going on in your brain, which I think is re- really refreshing, given so many people speak at people. Oh. Without being them, do you, well, does that's it what make I loved sense? about social media in the yeah. beginning is it? It was the breaking down of a brand that was yelling at people to conversations, and you, we don't learn anything if if our intent is to listen to answer. But if you and maybe this is the American thing because I found in New Zealand, especially in work situations, I have to preface when I ask the question why with Brody, you are the knowledgeable expert on podcasts. I'm going to ask you why. Not because I don't think you're the expert, but because I want to learn. Yeah. And I want to know how I can take my skills and your skills and make everything just blow up in this like magical connective tissue. Um, so I feel like that's that's one of the important things is, is just continually being open to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hi. Thank you very much for coming on Kiwi Arms. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I had fun. Oh, same here, and I uh, hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, I feel like at times my my mouth was speaking before my brain, but we said that we've both had one of those days, so I hope everyone made sense of it. Um, <laughs> it I'm sure they would. Maybe not me. We've oh, all sh- had one of those years. Brody, stop talking. Anyway, that was Kiwi <laughs> Yarns, and uh, we'll see you next week. Kiwi Yarns with Brody Kane. <laughs>